Readings from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 to 29. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we? If we turn away from him who warns us from heaven, at that time his voice shook the earth. But now he, now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Thanks, Chloe. Uh, Good evening, everyone. If you haven't met before, my name's Tom. And why don't we pray as we come to consider God's word. Loving Father, we do thank you that you speak to us. And in your mercy, we ask, Lord, that you would soften our hearts tonight so that we would receive your word in obedience. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Well, the question that we're going to ask tonight is, how can we develop a healthy fear of God. How can we develop a healthy fear of God? Uh, Since uh, coming to England three years ago, each of our kids have learnt to ride bikes, uh, which means that my stress levels have increased threefold uh, since coming to this country. Um, My biggest anxiety is not that they'll fall off their bike, that's fine, Uh, it's that they will cross the road uh, without looking and get hit by a car. It terrifies me, And the thing about bikes is, is that they go faster than you do. So I'm used to being able to hold my kids' hands, and that's how I control them. But once they're on a bike, I don't have control anymore. We were just going to Great Shelford uh, at lunch today to to, to have lunch with someone. And uh, Annabelle, my youngest, she's only three, she's on a balance bike. But you can go fast on a balance bike. Have you ever seen a little three-year-old on a balance bike? They just zoom past very, very quickly. And the whole time, I'm just terrified. So you have to think, okay, how do I keep my kids safe if I can't physically be right there with them and control them? And the way that you do it is you instill in them a healthy fear, a healthy fear of cars. Now, not an unhealthy fear. Now, I still want them to ride their bike. I still want them to to think cars are okay, cars aren't evil things, but I want them to realise that if they get hit by a car, very bad things happen. That's that's basically what I want them to understand. And so how do you give your kids a healthy fear of cars? Well, you teach them. You point them out. You say, see, that's a car. If that hits you, bad things happen. You know, you just teach them about cars. Uh, Maybe you give them some rules. You say to them, when you get to the edge of the road, when you get to the edge of the road, you've got to stop. You're not allowed to just go, you've got to stop. And once you stop, you've got to look both ways. You've got to listen for the cars. Don't just ride out. So you teach them. And then very occasionally, you scream at them. Because, 
That's the only way that you just say, stop, wait, wait for me. And you, you know, you're terrified, but you just yell at them. Why? Because you're trying to instill in them a healthy fear of cars. Well, that's not my job tonight. But what I think the passage helps us tonight is in giving us a healthy fear of God. Not an unhealthy fear, and we'll come to that a little bit later, what an unhealthy fear looks like. But a healthy fear, a healthy fear that teaches us how dangerous it is to ignore God. How dangerous, how deadly it is to leave Christ. How important it is to take the gospel seriously. You know, this is how God holds on to his children. Jesus promises that not one of those who belong to me will slip out of my hands. But how does Jesus hold on to us? How does he keep us in his hands? Well, he doesn't just control us in a computer from heaven, you know, directing our every move. He guides us by his word. He warns us. And as he does that, his spirit is at work in us so that we will trust him and obey him and listen to him. This is how God keeps us safe. And so this is what uh, we are going to learn tonight from Hebrews chapter 12, at the, the, the back end of Hebrews chapter 12, how to develop a healthy fear of God's judgment. We're going to see two things in this passage, something we should not do and something that we should do. Okay, so first of all, what we should not do Do not refuse God when he speaks. Do not refuse God when he speaks. And then something we should do, do take God seriously in your worship. Okay, let's have a look at that first one. Do not refuse God when he speaks. Have a look with me at verse 25 there. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? First thing we're told, do not refuse God when he speaks. Now, what is he talking about there? What what does that mean when God speaks? Well, what that's saying is don't ignore the message of the gospel. Okay, The message of the gospel that God has spoken to us, which is very clear. The message of the gospel is is that we are all sinners, that we've all turned away from God. And because of that, we're facing God's judgment, his punishment. But God, in his love for us, sent his son to die on the cross to take the punishment that we deserve on himself. And what that means is, is that if we put our trust in Jesus, we can have our sins forgiven. We can have that punishment that we deserve taken away so that we can now be made right with God. We can be in a relationship with God and have eternal life. That's the message. That is what God has spoken to me and to you in the Bible. And what this writer is saying is, don't ignore it. Don't refuse it. Don't say no. Remember, this letter is being written to a church full of people who are thinking of turning away from Jesus. They're thinking of going back to to the way they were before. They're being tempted to refuse this message that God has spoken, to ignore the gospel. 
And the way that he tries to convince us of not refusing this message is by showing what has happened in the past to God's people when they refuse his message. Okay, this is a classic parenting tactic, isn't it? You recount all of your horror stories to your children so that they don't make the same mistakes. And it's either your horror stories or it's someone else you know or it's some you know, urban legend that you once heard, but it doesn't matter. You just tell them the horror stories so that they don't make the same mistakes. I still remember uh, the story of my grandmother when she was living in Egypt. This was back before they had seatbelts in cars and they got in this terrible car accident and she was flown out of the car. Like She went like 10 metres out of the car. I think each time the story is told, it's further and further out of the car. She flies out of the and she broke her neck and she was in hospital for a very, very long time, very long recovery. I use a seatbelt, okay? The story works. The story works. You tell the horror stories from your family history in order to teach your kids not to make the same mistakes. That's exactly what we're being told here. We're being given the, fa- the old family stories, the old family horror stories, so that we don't make the same mistake. And the story that we're being told here if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, that's, talking, that's taking us back to Moses' day, back to when God spoke to his people through the prophet Moses, when he gave the Ten Commandments. And that's what's been talked about all through this chapter up till now. And what happens in this family story? Well, Moses is up on the mountain. He's receiving the law on Mount Sinai. He comes down from the mountain. And what does he discover? that all of Israel have already broken the law. They've already refused the one who has spoken, and they're worshipping an idol. And what happens to them? 3,000 of them die. They did not escape. This is what happens when you refuse God when he speaks. And of course, this isn't the only time in the Bible that we see this, is it? I mean, you don't have to read far into the Old Testament to work out it's a bad idea to ignore God and to refuse him when he speaks. Bad things happen if you do that. Again and again, we see ignoring God, it doesn't work out well. But did you notice in this verse that there's actually a comparison? We're told that it's not the same today as it was back then. No, no. No, it's much worse. It's much more serious now. Did you notice that? If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? The one who warned from earth is Moses. He's a man, he's from the earth, and he gives them God's word. God's law, the Ten Commandments, and they ignore him. And the result? They do not escape. They die. So if that's what happened when they ignored God's man on earth, what do you think will happen if we ignore the one from heaven? Of course, this being Jesus. He has come from heaven to give us this gospel. Do you get the point? The stakes are higher now. This is more serious than back then. I wonder, just thinking about this, just take a moment to reflect for yourself on your own life and your own attitude to Jesus. Do you take Jesus' word 
seriously. See, I think what we find hard today is that we don't seem to live in that Old Testament world of lightning and earthquakes and clouds and fires, the things that happened when God gave the Ten Commandments, the stuff that kind of freaked people out and made them sit up and listen and go, whoa, this is serious. We don't have that, do we? And because of that, we can make the mistake of thinking it's not as big a deal if we refuse Jesus' words, if we reject the gospel. What we're reminded here is, actually, it's a bigger deal to refuse Jesus. Those guys back then in the desert, they were refusing God's servant. When we reject the gospel, we're refusing God's son. So don't for a moment think that that doesn't matter. Now, the comparison continues in verse 26. Have a look at it with me. At that time, back then, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. See, when God gave the law back in the time of Moses, the earth shook and everyone completely freaked out. But God's promises through his prophets foreshadowed a day when not only would the earth shake, but the earth and the heavens. And what we're told here is, what we're talking about is judgment day. God's judgment, when Jesus returns. And on that day, the earth won't just shake. No, everything that is created will be destroyed. I wonder if you realise, again, just reflecting on our own life here, do you realise that everything in this world is not going to last? I think a lot of us right now don't feel like we're on very stable ground, do we? Uh, things are feeling a bit up in the air at the moment. I don't know about you. That's certainly how I feel right now. I mean, we've just come out of COVID, but it's not like things are any better, are they? The pound is plummeting, interest rates rising, inflation soaring, hurricanes in the US, Russia threatening nuclear war. Um, Our home group, like most of Little Shelford, has uh, people who are working in different capacities in the healthcare system, And I've got to say, hearing the prayer points from our home group, it is scary right now. You know, doctors, nurses, admin staff, chaplains, everyone is stretched. Everyone is at the point, is at breaking point. I mean, this is not a good time to get sick right now, I'll tell you that. The world feels unstable. Do you feel that? But I think what we easily forget is that the world was already unstable that this world is actually passing away. And when Jesus returns, everything that is created, that's what we're told right here. Do you notice that? Right at the end, verse 27, created things will be removed. Everything will perish. And the only thing that's left is what is not created. So we need to realise economic stability is not our hope. Right? Peace with Russia is not our hope. A well-funded and functioning NHS is not our hope. 
All of these things are wonderful things and we must pray for them every day because people, real people's lives are at stake. But we must not pin our hopes on them. The only hope that you and I have is Jesus. The only hope that we have is the forgiveness for our sins. The only hope that we have is for eternal life with God. The hope of a new creation. The hope that's found in the gospel. In the message that God has spoken. And therefore, do not refuse God when he speaks. The moment that we start to feel stable in life is the moment that we start to think it's okay to refuse God when he speaks. So let me ask you, is this you? Are you being tempted to refuse God as he speaks, even now tonight in his word? Maybe you're not a Christian yet. You've come along tonight and you've heard this message in the Bible. Will you refuse God as he speaks to you tonight? Or maybe you are a Christian, but it's getting hard to be a Christian. You just don't want to follow God's way anymore. You want to live life your own way. You just realize it's, it's going to be easier to not be different to everyone else and just have to disagree with people on a whole range of things. And you think, if I just ignore all of that and just do what everyone else does, life will be easier. Or maybe it's not even something that you're actively doing, but you're passively ignoring God, refusing him when he speaks. Now, you've grown up a Christian, you know the gospel back to front, but you're just not that interested in it. You're interested in other things. And the gospel message is just slowly being pushed to the background. It doesn't matter that much to you anymore. I think that's what's going on with this church. You know, in chapter 2 of Hebrews, it says they're drifting away, just that gentle floating away from Jesus. Well, friends, if you are refusing God when he speaks, the writer has a clear warning to you tonight. It's that healthy fear. It's like me shouting at the kids as they're about to cross the road. Do not refuse God when he speaks. So that's what we should not do. But very briefly, I want us to look at what we should do. It's one of the great things I love about the Bible. It doesn't just tell you what not to do, but then it tells you what you should do as well. Not just the negative, but the positive. What can I be actively doing to cultivate a healthy fear of God in my life? Have a look at verses 28 and 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. What should we be doing if we want to cultivate that healthy fear of God? We should take worship seriously. We should worship God with reverence and awe. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, and I said we've talked about this before, that What God wants is a healthy fear, a healthy fear of God. What would an unhealthy fear of God look like? I think an unhealthy fear of God happens when we forget what God is like, when we forget that God is loving and that God is merciful. So so some people, they're scared of God, but for the wrong reasons. 
right? They're scared of God because they think he's evil. They think he's capricious. And I think even as Christians, we can sometimes fall into this trap. I think especially if we've committed a particular sin or we're in a, a habit of sin that's making us feel far from God, we can, we can start thinking that God must just absolutely hate me right now. He just, God just must want to ruin me. He's just waiting for a moment to just do something terrible to me or to someone that I love and care about because he, he just must, must be so angry with me right now. That's an unhealthy fear of God. That's not what God is like. And we're remind, the reason I bring this up is we're reminded of this in these verses when we're told, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. See, the world might be passing away, judgment might be coming, but God has made a way for you to be saved. In his love and mercy, he sent his son to die on the cross so that now you can receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so can I just reassure you that if you trust in Jesus tonight, you are on absolutely firm ground. You are safe. You're more than safe. You are members of God's kingdom. So don't have an unhealthy fear of God that makes you think every time you sin, oh, that's it. God's going to wipe me out now. It's all over. No, God loves you. He's forgiven you. And he's, he's welcomed you into his kingdom, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So let's put aside that unhealthy fear. But see, the writer of Hebrews also knows that we are weak and that we are forgetful and that we are dumb. And he knows how easy it is for us to take God for granted now that we have been forgiven. Right? That's the trap we fall into, isn't it? Oh, great. God's forgiven me. I'm safe. Fantastic. I don't need to worry about him anymore. And the writer of the Hebrews is saying, no, that's a mistake. So how do we do that? How do we cultivate a healthy fear of God? I have to say, the answer surprised me when I was reading this passage this week. It's not what I would have immediately thought of, because the answer actually has to do with what we're doing here right now tonight. If I'm right about this, and I I think the passage is saying that a healthy fear of God begins with a church service. Did you notice that? We're called to be thankful and to worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. It's talking about what we're doing here on a Sunday night. That's where a healthy fear of God begins. So let's briefly unpack it. With thanksgiving, a worship that creates a fear of God starts with thanksgiving. Let us be thankful. How do you make sure that you don't take God for granted? You thank him. You be thankful. I think it's really wonderful that uh, we have this passage on Harvest Sunday, which is all about getting us to be thankful for what God has given us, right? Because developing a habit of thankfulness in our life reminds us that every good thing has come from God. It stops us from taking God for granted. And of course, the thanksgiving is not just for the good things we have now, but it's ultimately 
we thank him for sending his son to die. We thank him, recognising that this world is passing away, but that he has brought us into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Now, Thanksgiving is something that we should do every day, but it's something that we should especially do here on a Sunday when we gather, isn't it? Each week we should reflect on our sins and the judgment that we deserve and we thank God for rescuing us. This is the starting point. This is how we begin to develop a healthy fear of God, by thanking him. And then notice how we are to worship God. We are to worship him with reverence and awe. I think the problem with these words is that we use these words all the time, but we don't really use them, if you know what I mean. Like the reverence and awe, it's sort of a, a, a collective term that we use as, as Christians to describe our worship, but we don't use it in everyday language, so we forget what these words really mean. Uh, the word reverence here in the Greek, it, it has a sense of fear or apprehension that you might be doing the wrong thing. Uh, It's kind of a hesitancy. It's the opposite of blasé. It's being cautious in the way you approach God, recognising who he is. Not being casual with God. That's what reverence is. And awe, I think, is more on the positive side. It means a profound respect for God because he is God. Uh, the church that I started going to when I became a Christian, I became a Christian when I was a teenager, the church that I started going to back in Sydney in Australia was very, very low church. Uh, if you don't know what that means, that basically means it was a very, very relaxed church service. Uh, we, we had a band instead of an organ. Uh, we wore shorts and flip-flops uh, to church. It's Australia's very hot, so you know that's how we dressed. Uh, we were all very, very chill. And I have to say, I think that's pretty typical of uh, most evangelical churches uh, in Sydney, and perhaps even here, although I don't see anyone in flip-flops tonight, but you know, you get the idea. We're, we're a, bit more, a bit more on the relaxed side of how we do a service th- than some other services might be. It's not the most serious and sombre service in the world uh, that we run, is it? And you know, I think on one level that's okay. Because this part of the Bible, it's not telling us what we should be doing when we gather on a Sunday, but rather how we should be doing it. I think primarily what's being spoken about here is the heart. You know, there are plenty of uh, church services up and down the country that are incredibly formal and somber and serious, but they completely ignore God's word and they're run by people who are living in open disobedience to God. And to me, that is not worship with reverence and fear. Those people should be terrified of what they're doing because it is a horror to God. But I don't want to talk about other people, I want to talk about us. Because this can be a blind spot for us, particularly because we are a little bit more informal in the way we do our church service. Like I said, I don't think there's anything wrong with the way that we do church, but there is a a danger that we can mistake this casual style of church for meaning that we have a casual attitude to God. That would be a mistake. What we need to understand and remember is that what we do here on a Sunday is incredibly serious and incredibly important. When we gather together on a Sunday night, 
we are worshipping the true and living God. And we're reminded in this passage, he is a consuming fire. I think it's fascinating that where this passage takes us at the end is to encourage us to take God seriously in the Sunday service. I think that's a really helpful place to start for us. We need to make sure that we don't have a casual attitude to God when we gather on a Sunday. Because if we do, we will go out in the week and have a casual attitude to God in the way we live. It is the first step to refusing him when he speaks, isn't it? So I'd love to encourage you all, myself included, that when we gather together, take it seriously and remember who we are worshipping. He is a consuming fire. I'm not saying we need to crack open the organ and dress up in robes, but I am saying that when we sing, when we pray, when we hear God's word read, when we listen to the sermon, even when we talk to one another after church, we remember who we are worshipping. He is a consuming fire. And we cultivate that healthy fear of God. Let's pray. Loving Father, your words tonight are heavy words and they're not to be taken lightly. We pray, Father, that we would receive them with faith. We pray that we would receive them knowing that you are a good and loving God who loves to forgive and show mercy. But we pray that we would never take your grace for granted. We pray that we would always remember who you are as we worship you and that we would do so with reverence and awe. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.